Okay, if you open your Bibles to Judges once again, and we will begin studying Judges as we started this morning and continuing on with it. We read in Judges chapter 1, it says, Now it came about after the death of Joshua that the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord, saying, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. God promised he coveted to do this. All they had to do is trust him and obey then Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the uh, territory allotted me. And their property overlapped and uh, part of the territory was in uh, Judah's. And so it wasn't uncommon for this to occur. And so uh, come up with me into the territory allotted me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I in turn will go with you into the territory allotted you. And Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Parasites into their hands, and they defeated 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off, used to gather up scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. So they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Then the sons of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterwards the son of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country and in the Gave and in the lowlands. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. And they struck a Sheshi and a Hima and Talma. And then from there he went against the inhabitants of Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, the one who attacks Kiriath-sephir and captures it, I will even give him my daughter Aksha for my wife. And Othaniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, so he gave him his daughter Aksha for a wife. We're going to stop there before we go any further, and let's just go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll cover, try to cover these passages in a little bit more, but it's very important in seeing what's going on here, relating it to us today in America and especially to the church and our individual lives. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for the music. Thank you for the people that came out this afternoon and this evening. And, and I just pray that you'll just uh, open our eyes to your truth. Lord, you can only um, show us, but we have to be willing to uh, have our eyes open. So speak to us, may we open our hearts to allow you to speak to us the way that you desire to speak. And I pray that we will be touched in a very special way. That we will adhere to what you say. And that we'll leave uh, rejoicing and, and God ready to serve you this week in a very 
strong and powerful way because it's not in our strength that we do it, but it's in your strength. Knowing that you have given us these victories, but we must claim those and possess them. So help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we know, and as we talked about this morning, Joshua, you're moving from that book. They claim they possess many of the, much of the territory, but not all of it. As we read in the passage where the Lord told Joshua that he was getting old and there was still a lot of land to be uh, possessed. And so now we move into Judges, and unfortunately Judges, uh, they have divided into their territory, and uh, there is not one single person to lead them as a nation. They have their own little territories. This is why we see Judges popping up here and there all over. Those that will uh, be over the, uh, the certain area, uh, and sometimes over the whole uh, camp the entire count, but uh, so many times it's just over certain areas. And as we, uh, we saw them take um, uh, Adonai, Bezek, they took Bezek, and, uh, but they, they did something that the Lord did not tell them to do. Earlier, you remember back in Deuteronomy, he told them before they went into the promised land, when you go in there, you drive out all the inhabitants. And if they won't go, then you kill them. You get rid of that influence. Why? It's not that God was being mean or evil because God had given them a long time to see what was happening and hearing about Israel and uh, how God's hand was upon them to repent of their ways and to turn from their gods to the true and living God. But they refused. And they lived in this immoral way because they were caught up in their depravity, if you will. And so God comes in and he says, don't live with this. It's too much of a, a distraction. It's too much of a temptation. It will pull you away from me. So get rid of it and get rid of it completely. And this we can relate to in our own Christian lives. I mean, there are things in our lives that we, we just need to do away with. There's a lot of things today, we talked about a few, uh, that we just need to do away with. We don't have any business fooling around in that area. We think that we're strong enough, but we're not. Not in our own strength can we overcome this. And so... God did what he promised to do with Israel. He gave them this victory. But what did they do? They did not wipe them out. They acted as the Canaanites had acted. You see the king who said, hey, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes uh, cut off have been used to, uh, to uh, scrounge up the crumbs underneath my table. And what did that mean? That means that they were obedient to a point, but then they edited God's command. We so often edit God's commands, don't we? Unfortunately. And it gets us in trouble. And, and what happened here when they edited God's command? Well, for one thing, they disobeyed God. That's not what God told them to do. But secondly, 
they distorted the message that God gave them and that he gave them to give to the people of Canaan. You say, how did he do that? Well, they gave the, the impression to the outside observers that the God of Israel was no different than the gods of the Canaanites. You see, when we compromise, when we edit God's commands, when we don't call sin, sin, we don't call wrong, wrong, and we do all of these things, what are we doing in society? We're editing God's message to a world. We're distorting it. We're telling them, we're giving them the wrong impression about our God. And we do it more and more, and we will do it more and more. Then pretty soon, the power of God is not effective. Not that the power is any weaker, but it's the power in our lives, in our witness. We've just deleted it just about. I mean, what has happened? We compromise so much that we don't have any witness at all, hardly. And this is what he was telling them. And it says, and then next, next uh, Jerusalem was taken by Judah's forces, it says. Then the sons of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword in the city and set the city on fire. The task of taking Jerusalem was a lot more difficult. It was kind of like Jericho with Joshua. You remember that? And a lot different than Ai, but what happened with Ai? They got defeated, didn't they? And Jerusalem was, you know, it was a strategically strong lo uh, city located. Uh, one having the advantage of its position up on a hill. And so... Throughout history, it had been a very difficult city to capture. But the Lord of hosts told them to do it. And what happened? They did it. What does that tell us? That tells us that if we walk by faith, then we see the God that has created this world, that nothing is too great for him. And so uh, that was the thing. But they defeated the Jebusites and burned the city but the sad thing is that control was soon lost unfortunately why it says in chapter 1 verse 21 but the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem so the Jebusites have lived with the sons of Benjamin uh, in Jerusalem to this day oh man Living with compromise, with sin. You see, following the destruction of Jerusalem, the Israelites did not occupy the site. And the Jebusites repossess and reinforce it later on. So it remained in their possession when? Until King David came to office. And in 2 Samuel 5, 5 through 9. So the Israelites' failure to capitalize on their God-given victory caused problems. And how does that relate to us as, as believers today? Well, you see, if you don't wipe it out, as we talked about this morning, and if you don't clean it up, 
if we don't come in and if we don't acknowledge sin as sin, if we don't acknowledge failure as failure, and if we don't confess it to the Lord, that's one thing. That's open rebellion, isn't it, against God. But when we come and we confess and we acknowledge it and we repent of it, then we're forgiven, aren't we? But as I said this morning, as a demon was swept out of the house that was cleaned, it was not replaced with anything. And when it was clean, it was unoccupied. And so later on, that demon came back and he said, Wow, look at that house. It's all clean, got a lot more room. Hey, buddies, come on in, let's throw a party. Let's live it up here. And so he brought seven more, and it says it, it was in a worse shape than it was beforehand. That's what hap happens when we, we may have good intent, and we confess, and we, uh, we repent of our sins and all that, and we're forgiven. But we don't take steps to occupy it, to possess it. I want you to turn to Philippians. You say, what are you talking about, Mike? Well, let's, let's turn to Philippians. It's in the New Testament, I think. Now, in, in Philippians chapter 4, I want you to listen to this. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse 5, it says, Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, yeah, we should go to God. We should ask Him for the grace and the help and, and, and uh, what is needed in our lives. But then he goes on, he says, verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But we've got to have that peace. And for that peace to continue, what needs to take place? Finally, brethren, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and practice these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. Turn over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If you have been raised up with Christ, then keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is seated at right hand of God. Set your mind. There it is again. Set your mind on the things above. This is what Philippians has just said. Think on these things. That come from above. That are pure. Honest. Good report. That are godly. Set your mind on things above. Not on things of this earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ. In God. You're secure there. You can go to God, you can go to the Lord, you can set your mind on things above because you are in God through Christ. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, 
then you also will be, re, will be revealed with him in glory. So this is what I'm talking about in Judges. I'm saying that we do good when we recognize our failures. When we confess our sins, we do good. And we're honest and sincere and God will forgive us. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we know from 1 John and other places that teach that principle. But what is next? Don't leave our house empty. For many, that is where they stay. And they end up doing the same thing again. Maybe you have had problems. I've had, diff had difficulty like that at times. We must occupy that area with the Word of God. You see, replacing and holding our ground, replacing what was in there, that's how we occupy it, with that which is in the Word of God. We've got to read the Word of God. We've got to allow the Word of God to speak to our hearts. How many of us really look into the Word of God to see what it says? And not only for our mind, I'm afraid that a lot is going on today, and, and it's easy to do, it's easy to do with me and everybody else, uh, to, to allow it to satisfy our mind, our intellect. That's just one step, isn't it? It's got to go down in the elevator to our heart, doesn't it? To change us. And for that to happen, we've got to have the Word of God occupy that. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to stay in the Word of God. We've got to allow the, God, uh, the, the Lord to speak to us. We've got to ask Him to, to uh, show us, uh, make the Scripture come alive. Do we believe the Scripture is alive? Do we believe it is the Word of God? then we need to pray that way and, and say, God, speak to my heart and my soul. Make it alive. Show me what is needed. How many times have we been studying the Word of God and that day, that specific day, one difficulty that we are wrestling with, that, that week or that day, God reveals to us through His Word. How many times has that happened to a person who is diligent in the Word and in His life with the Lord, this will happen. And this is what it means. It, it means occupying. It means replacing. It means holding your ground. And you do that by studying the Word of God, by, by applying it to your life, allowing the Spirit of God to apply it to your life, by uh, you know, meditating upon it, by memorizing it, and letting it become a part of your life. It's easy for us when God gives us some notable success to forget this process. We may conveniently con uh, forget it, or we may just inconveniently forget it. But we forget the process by which we went through to gain this victory. And when this happens, we soon forget the lessons that we should have learned. And the result is that we have to fight the same spiritual battles over and over 
and over again. For some of us, this may go on for years and prevent us from reaching true spiritual maturity or the maturity that where God would have you to be, the place in that maturity. The feeding the enemy involves God's people working together. We need to be praying, and we'll talk about this in a moment, praying for one another. We need to be helping one another. But we also need to be standing true on God's word, not compromising. So many of us have had difficulties and problems in our, our family, some way or another, either our immediate family, our extended family, whatever. We've seen this difficulty, and we, we know it. We, we may have even gone through it ourselves, and God has brought us through it in all of this. But the danger of doing this, if we're not careful, is becoming too generous with the person who is going through something and not standing true to the word of God and saying, well, everybody does it or I've done it or whatever. That's a difficulty we all face. And it's hard to confront someone in it. When God needed someone to deliver his people, he called that person to deliver them. Unfortunately, God's people aren't working together the way that they should. And they weren't working together there as a whole unit with one leader. And so God is rearing up, though, men and women of faith today, thank God, who are experiencing his blessing and prayer and power and are leading his people to victory. But there's not many. And I'm not talking about huge churches. I'm not talking about huge congregations. I'm talking about people who are being true to God's word and leading God's people. Matter of fact, we talked about this in discipleship, didn't we? When we talked about in Matthew uh, discipleship, and we'll be coming back to it. Uh, the people were very anxious and excited about the miracles and the excitement and, and all the uh, hoopla that was going around. With the Messiah being there. And the authority. that You're speaking with that authority. They may not have understood everything. But they knew there was something different. And they got caught up in all of that. But that's where it ended. When he started calling out for disciples. And counting the cost with them. They went away. We need to not compromise God's word. If we're calling disciples, we, we, it's unjust to not tell them, isn't it, what is in store for them. It's not going to be some pie in the sky. Let's sit around and talk about our do's and don'ts and our likes and dislikes and uh, how did you face this week and how did you face that you know situation and this and that and well I think you know I did this and uh, you know uh, but this this sounds pretty familiar and uh, this this sounds pretty good for me and 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 you go on you you just jabber back and forth 
when you don't get down to God's Word. There's a danger in that. Nothing wrong with talking about problems. But the solutions should come from God's Word. With God's help, two tribes conquered the Canaanites. At Bezek. Jerusalem was Israel's next trophy. And we need to remember that though the Israelites conquered the city, they did not possess it. What do I mean by that? They did not occupy it. People, when we gain victory, we must stand our ground. We've got to occupy it. The city of Jerusalem was occupied by the Israelites until the reign of David, remember. So Judah and Benjamin were neighboring tribes, and since the city was located on the border, both tribes were involved in the attacking of the city. From Jerusalem, the Israelites moved to the next battles. And as we look at these, we, we begin in, in verse 9, it says, and, or verse 8, Then the sons of Judah fought against Jerusalem, captured it, struck it with the uh, edge of the sword, and set the city on fire. And afterwards, the son of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country and in Negev and in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron and and on and on and on. So this was their plan. This was their uh, battle strategy, if you will. With the uh, victories of Bezek and Jerusalem behind them, the tribes of Judah and Simeon uh, assess the strength of the other towns and villages in the territory. And they divided them into three areas. The hill country, a rugged and mountainous region between Jerusalem and and Hebron, the Negev or, or Southland, a region between Hebron and Kadesh Barnea, and the Lowland, probably um, uh, Shephelah, or a region of the foothills running north or south between the coastal plain and the central mountain range. So it was hill country, the Southland, and the Lowland. Now different people inhabited these cities. Or these areas. So Israel had to use different strategies to defeat the inhabitants. The hill country, the Israelites attacked the area just south, Negev, and west of Jerusalem, which included Hebron, the foothills. And this was the Judean mountain range stretching over the ridge route from Jerusalem to Hebron. And Hebron, formerly known as Kiriath Arba, or city of four, in Joshua 14 and Joshua 15, it was a home of Anak and his three sons. You remember that about Caleb? Uh, Moses promised him that, and he took it. And so because Caleb had wholly followed the Lord, Moses promised Hebron would be his inheritance, and now the promise is being, or is fulfilled, and Caleb dispossesses uh, the Anakims from their stronghold and kills those who had caused the Israelites fear uh, like to be like grasshoppers. And uh, earlier Judah and Simeon had attacked and captured the city of Jerusalem, but they did not possess it. Caleb, however, took Hebron from the giants and did possess it. And after the hill country of Negev, the uh, Israelites uh, headed to Debir, and then from there, he went against the inhabitants of Debir. Now, the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath 
safe there. And Caleb said, the one who attacks a Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will even give him my daughter, Aksha, for a wife. And Othaniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, so he gave him his daughter, Aksha, for a wife. Debir is the next target. And it was a logical quest after the fall of Hebron. Being only 11 miles southwest of that city. And so uh, in chapter 1 verse 12 Caleb issues a challenge. The one who captures it also captures the hand of my daughter in marriage. Faith must have run in Caleb's family. We see this when it mentions that Othaniel, Caleb's nephew, took the beer. And for a reward, he received Caleb's daughter as wife. And Othaniel, later uh, Othaniel, was uh, called to serve as Israel's first judge in Judge 3, 7 through 11. So since water was a precious commodity and land was almost useless without it, uh, Akisha urged her husband to ask her father to give them the land containing the springs that they needed for whatever reason, Akka or Aksha ended up asking her or him for the favor. And so um, then it came about when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. Then she alighted from the donkey, her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? And she said to him in verse 15, Give me a blessing since you have given me the land of Negev or Southland, desert-like dry land. Give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And the phrase upper and lower probably is a merism or a figure of speech in which beginning and ending points are expressed. And what we're told is that Caleb lavished upon his daughter the upper reservoir and the lower reservoir and everything in between. We have a very positive picture here if you'll look at it. Caleb is shown as a very kind and generous man. He illustrates our gracious and kind Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father is not a bitter old man up in, in the sky who's just waiting to zap us if we get out of hand. No. He is a kind and gracious and long-suffering God. He is a very loving, gracious God, but a just God. And uh, we see that uh, he illustrates him through these actions. And Othenio is shown as a very brave and indulgent man. And so Aksha was uh, analytical and bold. And so uh, she illustrates the power of intercession. She's going uh, to the father and asking for this. She's interceding for her family, her husband and her and family. And knowing her, her father's generosity, she readily asked him to give her what would sustain life during the hot, dry summer months. Man, we ought to know our Heavenly Father that well where we go and ask him. We seek him out. We talk to him and believe that he will do what is right she based her petition on relationship if we have a relationship we should be talking with the father the petition was well within her father's ability to grant God 
He owns everything. He's the creator of all. And he's capable of giving whatever we need. We need to take stock in what has happened. And we need to acknowledge who God is. And in doing so, we need to take stock in what we have accomplished. Who you have become and who I have become. How your marriage is unfolding how our marriage, my marriage is unfolding. Or how your kids are forming. How they're turning out. We need to take note of that. And we need to realize that for those to be powerful, for, for our marriage, our life, our witness to be powerful. We must possess the land that God has given us. The areas of marriage, the areas of work, the areas of wherever. And make sure that we don't allow any compromising within. Because compromising will soon drive us away from God. Let's stop there. Let's bow our heads in prayer.